Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Father God, we thank you that you made a way for us to be right with you. Father, we thank you that for all time you have planned the rescue of us. And as we stand here tonight, we are part of that. And Father, we pray that you would inspire us tonight by this great message, the message of the gospel. And we pray that our hearts would be fired by that and we would keep our eyes fixed on that and that we would live for your honour and glory throughout this week and beyond. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you sit down, you might want to pick up your Bibles again and turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 as we look um, at the race of Joseph. Well, right at this moment, I think there is a battle going on. I'm not talking about the battle to get my children to bed, which it should be about now. No, this is a battle which is raging all around you, and a battle for what's going to control you. Now, at this moment, a battle to capture who you are, a battle to define who you are, and what you do, and what you value, and what drives you, and what inspires you. We've heard much of me over these last few weeks about inspiration, inspire a generation, the legacy of the Olympics. How are you going to be inspired is the question. A Guardian editorial lauded the legacy of a brilliant games, games with barriers broken down, no team which was exclusively male. Indeed, the games have been cited as a great leveller, games where women came to the fore, Then there was the the sporting ethos, he went on. German table tennis player Timo Ball ensured his own defeat by insisting he didn't win their point while the applause went on all around. And then there was the the pooling together, wasn't there, of a nation. People say we realized we were more hospitable, fun-loving, and welcome than we could ever have imagined. And I wonder if it's been great for me to be part of that uh, from the comfort of my sofa with remote in hand. We see the discussion, have you not, have you not felt the discussion all around there? What's the legacy going to be? This is what one writer said the legacy for her was going to be. Work hard with the talent you've been given. Don't let failure set you back. Strive to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. Those are the lessons. That's the inspiration that I'm taking away from these games. It's incredible Olympians and all those who made it happen. They may not get me down to the gym more often, but they've shown me, in, shown me the way in understanding what I need to do to make my hopes and dreams come true. How are you inspired? You see, I'm sure we'll hear lots of inspirational message on the back of the Olympic, at political parties from organizations, from charities, from schools, from your friends and neighbors. Hundreds of messages to inspire you. And while many of those will be great, there is a much better story than any of those to inspire you, a much better legacy to be grabbed by. You see, the battle for our hearts is all around. It's not just uh, the Olympics. Uh, We went to the Eden Project on holiday, and it was quite amazing if you've been. I love just the sheer scale of the site. The people think, thought to themselves, we could build giant golf balls and build a rainforest in it. But the other thing that really struck me walking around the Eden Project was the way that religious language was used all the way around to describe things. They were bringing hope to the hopeless. 
The whole place was built on a worthless, denuded, exhausted China clay quarry pit. And yet it was transformed, and that power of transformation could continue. Children were encouraged to become lovers of the trees. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy those things, but can you see, in these kind of places, a tourist attraction, there was a message to capture us, to inspire us. And we will get bombarded with such messages through TV, through organizations, through schools, through the ads that pop up on your computer. And while many of them will be good things, they're not the best. You see, there's a a legacy that is greater than anything like that, the greatest story ever told, in which it tells us of reality, the way things are. It tells us of the purpose of the world and all that's in it. It tells us of the end and what's beyond the end and on into the everlasting, the story which you have been included here tonight in. The message I'm speaking of is the gospel. And that gospel message which should encourage our hearts sometimes wanes in our hearts. The message which is really the mainstream of history sometimes seems lifeless. The message which proclaims the hope of salvation for the world seems to us nothing, and we think other things are more of a saviour. You see, in the face of all those things to capture us, which may draw us away, which may cause us to drift from the gospel, we come again to Hebrews chapter 11 that we've been studying. This letter which was written to Christians who were in danger of, of drifting away from faith starting to be captivated by a different life story. Their danger was drifting back to Judaism. We will drift for many in different ways, I presume. And over the summer, as we have looked at Hebrews 11, we have read of a great cloud of witnesses that surround us, surround us to encourage us to keep persevering in this race, running the Christian race, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the center of history. You see, everything before him moved towards him, and everything after has come from him, and everything will ultimately be found in him, in Christ, our Savior. And so, in the the theme verse that we've heard already tonight, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, our witness to encourage our hearts tonight to keep going is Joseph. Uh, Joseph persevered through great trials. He was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, carried off to a foreign land, accused of sexual crimes by Potiphar's wife, and through it all he trusted God. He became great in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and yet none of that is what he's commended for here. The focus of Hebrews 11 is on the last moments of Joseph's life. Look at what it says. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, it's quite extraordinary, these words, seemingly innocuous words, tell of a man gripped by a bigger story. And we're going to look at each clause in turn to see how Joseph is an encouragement and a challenge to us to think about what's going to shape our life, what's going to inspire us. So first of all, faith in the promise of God till death. Faith in the promise of God till death. Look at 
You see, here in these words, we have Joseph nearing his death, and he is expressing faith. He speaks of a trust in God. He's the, it's the same trust that was spoken of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who were spoken of in verse 13 as dying in faith. Here's Joseph, too, dying in faith. They died in faith because they continued to trust God's word. And here is Joseph dying in faith, trusting God's word. And we get a glimpse here into his heart. As we've studied Hebrews 11 over these few weeks, we've seen that faith often, it always comes in response to God's word. So God speaks and people believe and trust what he says. So God spoke to Abraham, making great and wonderful promises, and Abraham believed them. God spoke to Isaac, reiterating those very same promises, and he believed them. And God spoke to Jacob, making the same promises. And in response to the word of God was faith in all those men. And as we come to Joseph, we find that he also trusted in the word of God. He trusted in the promise of God. But here's the extraordinary thing. Joseph, as far as I can see, as I've read through Genesis, never receives a direct word from God. No, God never speaks to Joseph directly. But look at what Joseph speaks of. When his end was near, he spoke of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. Joseph spoke of the exodus the exodus when God would save his people from the land of Egypt and take them away and take them back to the promised land. He spoke telling this to his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that they were, going not, they were not going to stay in Egypt. And that seems to have shaped his life. And yet God never told him that directly. You see, the faith that Joseph had in God comes from what Jacob told him. As Jacob is dying in Genesis 48, we read this. Then Israel, Jacob says to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. See, Jacob said, this is what God said to me. God will take you back. Jacob was repeating what we read earlier from Genesis 46. There God said, I am God the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. You see, Joseph was trusting the word which was spoken to Jacob, the word of God there. And between the time of Jacob's death and Joseph dying here, there's probably 50 or 60 years, almost a lifetime, Joseph trusts God's word that came to him from Jacob. And here at the end, he tells his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, God will take us out of this land. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Fifty or sixty years trusting a word that came to his father, the word of God, the word that shaped him, the word that he had confidence in and trusted right up until death. You see, I wonder whether you've had people say to you, have they said to me, well, it was all all very well for those Old Testament people. God spoke to them all the time. They they saw him doing lots of different things, and yet it's not generally true, but particularly here for Joseph, it's not true. He is a man who hears the word of God from another, 
Jacob, who told him what God had said and what God was going to do. And here is Joseph trusting God. It's quite startling, startling as you read that. Well, Joseph gets to the end and speaks of this exodus. He says, this is it, not it, guys. Don't get too comfortable here. He says, I know Goshen's lovely. I know you enjoy being here. I know the pyramids are amazing and they make great picnic spots, but don't get too comfortable here. God's taking us out. Yes, I know the Nile's fun to go boating on, but this is not the promised land. This is not what God's promised. This is what he says. And I wonder if you imagine the family surrounding Joseph there. Do you think they would be standing around saying, well, this is the first I've heard of this. God's taken us out of Egypt, is he? Would you think they would be saying, what's Grandpa Joe going on about now? We've never heard of this kind of stuff before. You see, I don't think that's what their response would be. I reckon Joseph here at the end, the one who had become successful in Egypt, would be saying the things that he'd been saying all his life. And every time the grandchildren went round for tea, this would be the message that Uncle Joe spoke to them, a Grandpa Joe even. You see, the great confidence that this man had in the word of God, that word that he received so many years before from Jacob, You see, and Joseph was dead when they went up from Egypt. But God did take the Israelites out of Egypt and back to the promised land. God did preserve his people. And they did become a great nation in that land that God promised. You see, in the very next book of the Bible, we see God coming to his people and taking them out of Egypt, fulfilling the promise that he made. You see, but however, more than that, God has been a God who has been fulfilling his promises ever since. When he says he will do something, that's what he does. The history of God's people show how trustworthy he is. There's a relentless progress in the Old Testament of God's promises moving towards their fulfillment in Christ. And as they progress, we see that everything does converge on the Lord Jesus. He's the one in whom all these promises find their fulfillment. He is the heir of all things. He is the descendant of Abraham, the one who has been identified as the one who brings blessing, who saved a people for himself, a people that he has washed and clean. Us sitting here tonight are included in that. See, the the book of Hebrews has very carefully directed uh, those readers to the ways in which God fulfilled the promises in the Old Testament, showing how Jesus fulfills them all. How he brings to completion the promises of God. And as we see this table here tonight spread, ready for us to have a family meal, to to eat bread and drink wine, to be reminded again of the promises that God made, that in his death we can be right with God again. We can have sins forgiven. We can have our hearts strengthened in faith again. You see, everything was heading towards this. And God has been faithful to keep that, and he will continue to be faithful to his word. See, Joseph, shaped by the promise of God, inspired by the promise which God had made, the promise which focused on Jesus, that's what shaped this successful man in Egypt. His focus was on leaving, a stranger in the land where he was successful, You see, I wonder how people would think of you if you were to ask them. Would they see people here tonight shaped by this greatest story ever told? 
that you're a Christian trusting God to take you to heaven? You see, answer honestly. How would people describe you at home, at work, on your street? Would you be a hard worker, a gifted administrator, a brilliant businessman, a loving parent or grandparent, a man of integrity, a successful and compassionate doctor, helpful, incredibly talented? You see, there are many ways in which people can describe you, aren't they? But would your Christian commitment come into it at all? Have you been so gripped by this story that that's the thing that people see in you? There's a a man that I knew through my parents, and he was a a successful businessman of a national company, Um, and he would often have people in the car with him, and during the course of one journey, the the conversation turned to some difficulties his passengers was having, and my parents' friend said to the man, I said, "If if you open the glove box there, you'll find something which can help you. And so the man opened the glove box and took out a, a Gideon Bible, which he took and used. Well, sometime later, there was another man on another journey in the same car with my friend. And in the course of that journey, this friend turns to my, the, the friend who was in the passenger seat, turned to my friend and said, if I open the glove box there, will I find something which will help me? And he said, yes. And this man took a Bible as well to read. You see, what was it about that man which meant that his Christian faith was known? He worked hard as a businessman to get to the position where he was, and yet that wasn't the thing that he was known for. You also think of my grandpa who died last September. He was well known in the town of Gala Shields where I grew up. He owned a china shop um, and a, a toy shop as well. A successful local businessman in many ways. And yet at the funeral last year, that wasn't the testimony that people were telling of him. People spoke of his Christian faith, the way he welcomed people, his involvement in the local youth group. And me as his grandson, I was always aware that every night he and my grandma would kneel by their bedside and pray for us, for his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that they would trust in the Lord Jesus that they would trust him and take him, that they would trust him to take them to heaven. That the focus which he had would be the focus that they would have. He desired that we would trust the Lord Jesus for our salvation. And you know, as I look at these two men and think, what, what was it that made their faith so evident? As I've thought of that this week, I can't put my finger on it. There's nothing particularly special about what they did. And yet, as I've thought, the thing which has come to me is that they believed God. They really believed what God says in the Bible is true, that the promises God makes are true to be believed and to be trusted. You see, they were taught the story of this great God and the plan of salvation which he had um, made. The, The plan which finds its fulfillment in Christ. And they taught it and they believed it right up until death in my grandpa's case and see what of you do you believe this message do you really trust it has it really gripped your heart you see we could make it quite easy for you to stand out as a christian um, in your normal life we could give you all um, a big long nose to put on as you go out of here tonight with christian written along the end of it the people would see that you're a christian 
And if you want one, I'm sure we could arrange it. But you see, that's not what's required. It's not doing things. It's believing this message, being shaped right into the core of you with this message. Being encouraged by these witnesses who trusted God's word. You see, it's a change of heart that's needed. Trusting God who preserves his truth. You see, do you hear this gospel message week after week as you come here and let it wash over you? Or do you allow it to grip your heart and to be the thing which defines who you really are? Well, Joseph had faith. But he also had faith, he had faith till death, but he also had faith in the promise of God beyond death. You see, the reason that Joseph would talk about this message is found in the next clause. You see what it says at the end of verse 22. And Joseph gave instructions about his bones. Now, it seems a little bit odd. I don't know that many people who are concerned about their bones. And yet Joseph here was concerned about his bones when he died. So what was it about his bones which meant he wanted to give instructions about them? Well, you see, it relates back to what we've already heard. Joseph heard from Jacob that God was going to take his people out of Egypt, and Joseph wanted to be there. He wanted to be included in that, even though he was dead. You see, he was focused on the fulfillment of God's promises, and he wanted to be part of it. He didn't want to miss out. And so he gave instructions about his bones. You see, he was focused, as we've read in Hebrews 11 already, on a promised, a better country, on a heavenly country. And so he wants his sons and daughters to embalm him. And that's what they do, and they put him in a coffin. And when the people do leave Egypt many years later, they take his bones with him. And you can imagine when, at the Exodus, those people going out with this uh, mummy. You can imagine saying to their dad, Dad, why are we carrying that mummy? No, dear, that's not your mummy. It's Grandpa Joe. Yes, Dad, I know it's not a mummy. But why are we carrying those bones? Why are we carrying a mummy around with us? You see, well, Grandpa Joe wanted us to take him to the promised land with him. Grandpa Joe trusted God. He knew God would do this. How did, how did Grandpa Joe know this? Well, God spoke to him. God told him. And Grandpa Joe believed God. And here he is now, being taken out of the land. You see, why carry bones to a different country? Because Joseph was longing for a better country. Trusting God in death and beyond. And the Israelites carried those bones for a long time. Forty years of wandering around in the desert, carrying his bones. It's not until the end of the book of Joshua that Joseph gets buried in the land. You see, as we read this great chapter of Hebrews 11, we are to be encouraged that our final rest is not to be found here on earth. You see, the great story of God's promises finding their fulfillment in the death of Christ was not the end. The resurrection of Jesus follows. The promise that there is a rest to come, that there is new life to come, that there's a new heavens, a new earth to come, and we are to long for this promise. We are to trust God as we long for that and look forward to that. And that's what Hebrews 12 speaks of when it says, but you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You see, we trust God for heaven. We trust in the Lord Jesus, looking to him, the one who speaks to us now and has prepared a place for us in heaven. Do you long for that? As you're included in this great story? If you look at the story of God's faithfulness, God brought his promises to fulfillment, to completion, and he will be faithful to what he says in the future, that there is a promised heavenly rest for us. Of course he'll do it. Look what he's done in the past. Look at Joseph. He trusted God and it was seen to be the right thing to do. You see, he wasn't stupid to trust God, to trust the word of God that came to him through Jacob. Well, let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's get rid of those things which hold us back. Let's hold firmly onto the word of God which he has spoken to us. And let that inspire us. Let that motivate us to live for him. Let us focus on Christ in this world, believing and trusting and holding on to him. And let's encourage one another to keep doing that, both in this coming week and right up until death. Why don't you take a few moments to consider those things and then Andrew will lead us in prayer.